Good morning, Light of the World Church. It is good to uh, be with you again this morning and to worship the Lord together. What a privilege, I always say this, but what a privilege we have to, to worship together and, and sing these kind of songs that uh, encourage us and lift up our spirits and point us so beautifully to the Lord Jesus Christ. God is good. Uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 46. Psalm 46, this uh, psalm is one of the best-known hymns of praise by the sons uh, of Korah, written by the sons of Korah. It was written celebrating Zion as the special city God has chosen to preserve. God is their fortress, and therefore they need not fear. And although the nations will oppose them, Ultimately, out of Zion, God's word will go forth to the nations whose wars will be brought to an end and God will be exalted among the nations. Now, this hymn was a, a source of great encouragement to the worshiping congregation and it is just as relevant for us today. Uh, and I trust that it will encourage us this morning. Um, the title of my message this morning is God is a mighty fortress. Uh, let's give our careful attention now to God's word in Psalm 46, and I'd ask the congregation to please stand for the reading of God's word. I'll be reading from the ESV this morning, from verses 1 to 11. This is the living and active word of God. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation, desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that is powerful, 
We thank you for the word that is sharp. Your word that cuts and accomplishes the very will that you send it to accomplish. The very thing, Lord, that you are trying to get even, Lord, in our own hearts this morning here at Light of the World Church. I thank you, Lord, because your word is relevant. Your word, Lord, is exactly what we need. And we thank you that even now you want to speak to us, Lord. And we ask, Lord, speak. Open our ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. We pray that you would be glorified. We thank you, Lord, that you are our mighty fortress. We pray that you now uh, illuminate our minds, open our hearts and open our ears to hear and do a work of transformation that only you can do. We pray, Lord, that you would set captives free. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, transform us even this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray and we thank you. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, ever since the fall of mankind, human beings have faced all kinds of adversity from natural disasters to political upheavals to wars and to personal crises that are beyond our control. And the reality is we live in a world of constant change and an endless ebb and flow of uncertain times. And the church is not immune from experiencing adversity. In fact, the church, on top of those things I mentioned, faces unique challenges of its own. From persecution to warding off false teachings to internal challenges to external pressures to silence our voice to attacks on the family and many other spiritual attacks. The reality is the church faces constant adversity as well. But despite the uncertainty of what life may bring, God's church is secure because God is sovereign over every situation and he is with us. And that's what the psalmist is getting at in this hymn of praise. No matter what situation the, con the congregation may face, they need not fear because the God of Jacob is a mighty fortress. They can even be glad in the midst of adversity. And yet, despite God's track record of faithfulness, Israel was constantly tempted to fear 
and doubt God's goodness. And the same is true for us as well. There's a tendency of human beings to feel overwhelmed, fearful, and powerless in the face of life's uncertainties and calamities. Despite God's past faithfulness, we'll hear some difficult news and we'll feel overwhelmed. Maybe it's a bad report from the doctor. Maybe you stood for righteousness at work and now got fired. Maybe you're about to lose your home. Whatever the adversity is, we're tempted to get fearful and think that God is distant or doesn't care. Especially for us Westerners who live more comfortably than uh, many other people around the world. The thought that suffering might be part of God's good plan for us doesn't even cross our minds. We sang the song, what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. But we can become gripped by anxiety about the future. Instead of fixing our gaze on Jesus, we just stare at the storm. But the psalmist comes in with this radical message. God is a mighty fortress. Therefore, we need not fear. And there are three observations I want us to look at in this passage. One, that God is a very present help in our troubles. Two, that God is very present in his city. And three, that all the nations will exalt him. So God is very present in our troubles. Uh, look with me in uh, verse 1. The, the psalmist starts with, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. The word God here is Elohim. The all-powerful creator of the universe is our refuge and strength. Israel's boast is in Elohim. God is our refuge. God is our refuge. God is our refuge. Not our armies, not our wisdom. God is our refuge. And that word refuge or fortress normally speaks of a place where people are safe from calamity. And yet here, refuge is not a physical place, but a person. Refuge is not a physical place, but a person. In other words, God himself is our shelter. 
our hiding place, our refuge, our strength, our trust. We don't bring our own strength. He is our strength. And he's not just my refuge and strength. He's our refuge and strength. The plural language is unmistakable throughout in this psalm. This was a song for the corporate worship of God's people. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In other words, to God's people, God is not hard to find. He's right at hand. He's ready to help. He is near. He is present in trouble. And not just present, he's very present. He is present as our protection and our strength. God is sufficiently able to protect his people in trouble. God is a very present help. In our troubles. What kind of troubles? What kind of troubles is he very present in? Verse 2 continues. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. This is a huge statement. What if one day the earth gave way and melted What if it shook so violently and the waters roared with such force that Mount Everest, at 29,000 feet, the tallest mountain in the world, and all the other tall mountains of the world, which seemed so immovable, were to crumble and be thrown into the middle of the sea? That's a very extreme event, to say the least. The psalmist has given us a powerful word picture here. Mountains are symbols of, of strength. And they have deep roots that go underneath the earth. And currently they're resisting the waves and the storms. So this idea of this kind of shaking... This kind of shaking that, that stirs the waters so much, this kind of cataclysmic earthquake, it would swallow up these crumbling mountains. What if 
as one commentator called it, an event of uncreation were to occur or essentially the destruction of the whole earth, will it fill us with fear? No, says the psalmist. No, says the psalmist. Why? Because God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. This is not, this is not unfounded bravado. This is not just someone declaring, oh yeah, I wouldn't be afraid. No, it's actually confidence that Elohim, the creator of the universe, is our refuge and strength no matter what trouble we face. Because even cataclysmic events come from his hand, and he is sovereign over all such events. Now, when we think of trouble, we tend to focus on our personal crises, a sudden financial upheaval, an unexpected medical problem, tragedies within our families. Whatever crisis we're facing, it begins to loom large over us like a tall, giant mountain, and we can begin to feel overwhelmed. But Psalm 46 invites us to view things from a different perspective without undermining the difficulty of our personal troubles. The language used here is, is pointing to a much more extreme event, much more extreme than even those events I just mentioned that we experience in personal crises. I like this quote from Peter Holtzvluer. He writes, And since the Lord of hosts can help and hold his people through a meltdown of the earth itself, surely he is able to help each of us through our individual crises. Do you see the way the psalmist is arguing here? Do you see the, the perspective he's inviting us to understand? In Matthew 8, there's an account where Jesus' disciples, they got into a boat, and when they were deep into the sea, they faced a great storm. And the boat was rocking. And it was taking in water. I don't know about you, but I would not want to be in that situation. But Jesus, who was in the boat, was calmly asleep. Yeah, he would be the one who would say, no, I would not fear. <laughs> he was calmly asleep. And in Matthew 8, 25, it says, And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. 
And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? What personal crises or crisis or crises are you facing today? What troubles are you facing as a church? Light of the World Church, what crises are you facing? God is our refuge and our strength. He is a very present help in our troubles. Secondly, God is very present in his city. Verse 4 and 5 continued, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So our attention is shifted now from deadly roaring waters to a river with streams that refresh and make glad an entire city. Not just any city. This is the city of God. This is the city of Elohim, the all-powerful one. It is the holy habitation of the Most High. Those of you who were recently in our Names of God class might recognize the name I just said. The Most High. Elyon. The Supreme. The Preeminent. And the Most Exalted One inhabits His city. The psalmist is referring to Jerusalem. The city which God had chosen to be the place of His sanctuary, the place where his people meet him in worship. And it says that God is in the midst of her. And there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The river is not a literal body of water. The river is not a literal body of water since Jerusalem doesn't have a natural river. Its main source of fresh water comes from a natural spring called the Gihon Spring in the Kidron Valley. So what does this tell us? That the city being spoken of as having a river doesn't actually have a river. It means, I'm glad you asked. It means that the river transcends the physical and the geographical. The river is not limited to a place and a space in time. It says in Revelation 22, 1, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, 
flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This is the river. It's the river of the water of life. It supplies God's life-giving grace to this city. Beloved, if we are in Christ, we belong to the city of God. And we have access to this river. We too can sing and confess that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. That there is a river of life, of God's blessings, of divine grace, of eternal life, of his Holy Spirit, of unspeakable joy. All of these flow to us from the streams of that river. And since the river transcends the physical and geographical, so does the city. The city of God is not limited to a physical location. It's an emblem of the people of God as a whole. One of the characteristics of Jerusalem was that it was the place where God's temple was located. And the temple was the place where God's presence dwelt among his people. But now, Jesus is the greater temple where God meets with man. And he's not limited to a physical location. In John 2.19, when the Jews asked Jesus for a sign to validate his, his cleansing of the temple, he said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And he was speaking of his body. The temple in Jerusalem was where sacrifices were made for sin. But when Jesus identified his own body as the true temple, he was saying, I am the ultimate sacrifice for sin. So where is the city of God now? Where is Zion it's in the midst of his people through the Holy Spirit and his word. A writer to the Hebrews wrote in chapter 12, from 22 to 24, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In his commentary on the Psalms, Charles Spurgeon wrote this, Jerusalem, which represents the church of God, 
is described as well supplied with water to be to set forth the fact that in seasons of trial all sufficient grace will be given to enable us to endure unto the end this is the help that god gives and those in christ are part of the heavenly jerusalem whose true temple is Jesus Christ, where God meets with man. And even now, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we are in him, and he is in us through the Holy Spirit. And he is the source of that river, of that living water. He told the Samaritan woman at the well, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Do you have this living water today? Do the streams of his river nourish your soul? If the answer is no, Jesus is the one you must go to. Returning to our text in verse 5, it says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Since God is in the midst of his city, she shall not be moved. He's in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God is in the midst of his city through Jesus Christ and his spirit. Whatever you may be facing, if you're in Christ you will not be moved from his love. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. God is a mighty fortress. Therefore, we need not fear. And verse 6 goes on to say, The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In verses 2 to 3, the threats related to nature, the mountains moving into the sea and the waters roaring. Now in Pennsylvania, not so much, but certain parts of our world are way more prone to natural disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes, uh, tornadoes and all of that, tsunamis. But here in verse 6, the threat is about nations. So whether it's nature that's shaking your life and causing you to feel anxious and uncertain, or nations with its, its peoples, political conflicts, world crises, and vicious opposition to God, he is a mighty fortress. He is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in our troubles. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, and the next phrase, he utters his voice, the earth melts. This is written for our encouragement. All God would need to do is say a word, and the earth would melt. 
God can melt the earth. He can bring the upheavals, the roaring of waters or nations to an instant end and then some. And even though the nations rage against God, as it says in in Psalm 2 about the nations raging, or even rage in conflict with each other, God utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts, verse 7, is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth, which means the I am, Yahweh, the one who is, which is Yahweh, is the sovereign of armies or forces, and he's with us. The I am, the sovereign of armies and forces, is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And though nations rage and kingdoms totter, Zion shall not be moved. The city of God will be stable and secure because the Lord of hosts is with us. Verse 8 said, come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. So verse 8 then invites us to, invites the citizens of, of Zion to joyfully survey the remains of their enemies. He says, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Remember, everything he does is for our good. And he invites them, come and survey it. Look, these are the spoils. And God will, in his sovereign power, bring an end to wars as well. He's going to bring an end to wars. Ultimately, a day will come, as the song, the spiritual says, we're not going to study war no more. Anyone know that song? We're going to study war no more. Wars will end. All hostilities will end, and that'll be God's doing. And then there's this dramatic pause. After verse 9, because now God speaks. And the context seems to suggest that he is speaking this actually to the nations. That doesn't mean we can't, you know, be blessed by it. But he's saying, be still. All of this uproar, all of these of this of warring and raging, be still and know that I am God. He is commanding the hostilities to cease. He is declaring an end to 
the raging. I will be exalted, he says, among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. All the nations ultimately will exalt the Lord. Be still. Recognize. And out of Zion, God's word goes forth to the nations. Because God uses his people. He inhabits the city. It's his city. And from there comes the message of the gospel. God will be exalted among the nations. There will be some that will exalt him on this side of eternity. And there will be some who will only exalt him on the other side where every knee will have to bow and confess that he is Lord of all. Music ministry, you can come on up. In verse 11, it says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Yahweh Sabaoth, the I am, the one who is, the sovereign of armies, is with us. This is a repetition of verse 7. But now I want to show you how this points us to Jesus Christ. How so? How does this verse that's repeated in 7 and 11, how does it point us to Jesus Christ? And those who are in the, the Names of God class, I, I'm inviting you, look closely at the text and see if you can see it. The text says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I'm just waiting for the nodding heads. The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. How does that point us to Christ? Somebody can shout it out if they, if they know. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. The Lord of hosts is with us. Emmanuel is Yahweh of hosts. He is with us. God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. This chapter, this hymn, I wish we knew how to sing it, is timeless, inspired by the Holy Spirit to encourage God's people that no matter what situation you may be facing, God is a mighty fortress. He is with us, and part of him being with us absolutely involves Christ. We can only be with God in a saving way through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. So Emmanuel, Yahweh of hosts, is with us. Thank you.